Hello everyone out there on YouTube and in the podcast. Um, this is Dante and welcome in to a special series we're calling Cold Brew. Cold Brew will be a conversation with different people in the community and in different industries and walks of life about a number of topics that we feel like are important um, to be aware of and awake to. This can be anything from self-help to mental health to financial health. It is our goal here to wake people up, and this is the best way to do it, through unfiltered conversation. And we do mean unfiltered. So, please sit back and enjoy this content from a number of different people and a number of different places. We hope that this diverse perspective will add something to your own homebrew. Enjoy this series of cold brew. Okay, hello everyone and welcome into uh, Cold Brew by Dopio. Um, today we're going to be talking about money, everyone's favorite topic, money. Um, I am talking with one of my uh, great, great, great friends um, from a long time ago when I was young and had less gray in my beard <laughs> and more hair on my head. Um, uh, her name is Heather and she's going to be helping us wake up and wake up to, uh, some great financial advice and, uh, hopefully, um, to educate everyone out there. Um, so welcome into the, the show. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, so how are you today? How is, uh, Corona life in the financial world? Oh man. Well, you know, honestly, it's business as usual for us. I mean, well, maybe not, maybe not usual. We aren't seeing people in our office right now physically, but we are offering virtual appointments and phone appointments. And I've had tons of those. And, you know, there are definitely people that aren't as comfortable with that, but there have been a lot of people very open to it. And a lot of people that have said they really like doing it that way because they can kind of do it as they're, I don't want to say as they're doing other things, but kind of it, they don't have to take as much time out of their day to, you know, commute to commute to the office, especially if they live on the other side of town. Um, and they can see my screen, I can share everything with them on my screen, just as they would see it in an appointment. So it's been a little, we've done business a little differently, but I mean, the stock market's open, so we're open. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I assume that that, um, that has a lot of people um, well, this entire situation has a lot of people afraid of like what's happening with their money. Um, yeah. Not just like what's happening with the money they already had, but what's happening with the money that they're not no longer getting. So, <laughs> right. Um, what is like, uh, what would you say has been like the biggest concern during this crisis um, as far as people's uh, financial well-being is concerned? Well, you know, I think in any financial situation like this, we saw this obviously years ago in 08, that was a very different situation. This is, this did not start as a financial crisis the way that 08 did. So it's very, very different. However, I think everyone is afraid of not meeting their goals, um, whether that's retirement or it could be buying a boat, you know, whatever, whatever their long-term goals look like. I think that when things like this happen and people see the the ups and downs in their investments, they get nervous that they're not going to be able to accomplish what they want to accomplish. So I think that's been a huge concern. And I just think in general, people who want to talk with an advisor 
um, you know, who, or people who have an advisor and their advisor isn't reaching out to them. They're just afraid to do anything right now. You know, everyone's like, Oh, I just want to wait until all this is over, but it's always going to be something right. Like yeah. life happens. It's, there's always going to be something keeping you from meeting with a financial advisor. In fact, I, I think that there is a statistic out there that says that a financial advisor is actually second in line to a dentist as far as who people do not want to go see. <laughs> yeah, like so <laughs> seriously hate the dentist. Seriously. Right. Right. I don't hate so I don't hate I don't hate financial advisors though. So Oh good, good. But. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, that actually brings up a good uh, a good question though. Who are your usual clientele? I mean, if people are usually avoiding um, financial advisors, you know, I, I would think that more people need you guys, much like the dentist, than want to admit it. Um, right. So, so who are, what's your standard fare? And do you think that a financial advisor is good for, you know, anyone? That's a great question. I think a lot of people assume that to go to a financial advisor, you need thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. You know, you need uh, the way that people have said it to me, you need something to advise. <laughs> and uh. I just, I just don't think, I don't think that's true at all. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give a personal example. Someone was willing to take a chance on me when I was young and just out of college and wanted to start a retirement account because I, I knew that was a good thing to do. And I, I could afford $50 a month you know, and mm -hmm. I thought an advisor would laugh in my face, but having majored in finance, I knew that someone <laughs> would hopefully be willing to sit down with me and talk and at yeah. least give me some direction. And that's, that's what I really like to provide people with is direction. Because if someone comes and meets with me and they can walk out feeling like they learned something and just take something away new, then I feel like I've done my job as an advisor. So I certainly work with higher net worth clients. And I mean, I guess you could say that's an ideal situation um, because there because there is something I hate to say it that way, but there is something to advise. But at the same time, I really enjoy helping everyone, and I enjoy helping people starting at the bottom that don't know where to start, um, but also people who have worked with an advisor that maybe didn't have a great relationship. Because for me, a lot of it is about the relationship. Yeah, and I, I think that money is probably the most personal thing that. Um it's probably one of the most personal things you can deal with these days. I mean, when you talk about relationships, relationships end over two things, sex and money. So, or exactly. sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah. but, but yeah, so like those are the big three and money being, you know, the lifeblood of not just government, but of, you know, well, life. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I think that, yeah, you're right. Relationships are important. So, you know, and I don't want to get too in the weeds, but you know, when you're first advising someone and I don't want to give, I don't want you to give away all your cookies. Like, so <laughs> people don't have a reason to come to you. Um, right. But, but just, you know, what should people bring with them, you know, mentally, yeah. like, because I know, you know, they're going to bring the receipts, they're going to bring the checkbook, but what should you bring <laughs> yourself, bring with yourself mentally for, you know, talking with a financial advisor? Yeah. Great question. So I would say, knowing what your goals are. And I think a lot of people re start to realize what those are the more that I talk with them, but knowing where you're at right now and being really honest with yourself about that is important. And then knowing where you want to be and where you're going. I know that seems, that almost seems kind of cheesy or poetic, but it's really important because I can't give a good recommendation to someone if they don't really know where they see themselves in you know, the next five, 10, 15, 30 years even. So yeah. 
it's really important for me to talk through that with people and understand that first, because you can put anybody in a good investment, but what sense does that make if it doesn't help them reach their goals? And I need to know what those goals are before I can give you a good recommendation on what you should be in. So, well, I guess the, I, I guess the concern would be, you know, I don't know where I am going to be 30 years from now. I know right. where I don't want to be. Like, and <laughs> well, and I feel like that's just as important. Okay. Right. Like you don't want to be in the poor house. You want, like, yeah. even if you can just say to me, I think a lot of people, I think the answer I get most often from people is I just want to be comfortable. And I don't, I just don't want to feel like I'm going to run out of money. Like a lot of times that's the answer. It's not necessarily, Oh, well, I want to retire at this age. And you know, that's something we have some really unique tools uh, where I work that, we can show people different scenarios based on when you want to retire and what your spending is going to be like in retirement. So we talk through all of that when I have an appointment with somebody, but I think that knowing, having an idea of, I, I know that, you know, or I see myself married or I see myself possibly having kids or not having kids because those things dramatically affect your long-term financial goals. So I think when, when I say long-term goals, I think it can just as much mean what you don't want, <laughs> um, oh, okay. you know, but also, but also just having a general idea. You don't have to come in knowing, all right, 2020, I'm giving myself five years to do this. And then, you know, 10 years down the road, I want three kids, a house and a boat. Like you don't have to have it all figured out. And that's exactly yeah. the whole reason that, I mean, honestly, that you go see an advisor. It's someone to talk through that with and to help you as you go, because I think that's another thing that a lot of advisors don't do well is that they, and that's from personal experience. I've worked with several financial advisors as a client. And one of the, one of the big differences I saw with where I was a client and then became an advisor with the same company was wow. we talked all the time. I mean, if we had a big life event, we talked, get married, you talk to your advisor. When I had kids, you talk to your advisor. Like you want that advisor to, to feel like a family member in a sense, like maybe that's yeah. getting a little, you know, too into it, but you want, you want that person to be someone that you can contact and ask questions of and contact when you have those big life events, because those can also very dramatically affect your, your long-term strategy or long-term plan. So, yeah. I mean, it seems like a, like uh not to, to bring up Italian cliches and mob cliches, but it sounds like you're more conciliary than just like a financial advisor. It's like, oh, like, let yeah. me get some advice from my friend. Yeah. yeah, let me get some advice from the family before I make decisions. <laughs> exactly. And so, <laughs> and so like, in that way, it seems like, you know, you're not just a financial advisor. You're like a life coach um, at the same time. Um, yeah, I like that. So, and, and not, I guess not to, um, not to like get too personal with you, but uh, do you find that like stressful? Um, do you, do you find like that you're carrying some of the burden of your clients sometimes? I, I think it's interesting you bring that up because sometimes yes, not, not necessarily in a negative way though. Sometimes you are so passionate about people and helping people and there are going to be some situations that you can't help. In. Yeah. I, I think that's the harsh reality of it. You know, some people, unfortunately, life happens. People make decisions that don't lead them to where they really wanted to be, which is why I love to meet with people, especially early on in life, you know, if they're like new, coming out of college or newly married, things like that. Because if you can start that mindset early, 
the earlier the better as far as reaching your goals. When time is on your side, you're going to get there as long as you have the right mindset. But I, but I have had some people that I've talked with who I deeply care for and are incredible people, but there wasn't unfortunately a lot that I could do to help because time wasn't on their side. And unfortunately the position they were in, the best I could do was kind of give them a little bit of financial coaching, you know, helping with monthly budget and things like that. So that, that is just as important to me as someone that walks in the door with, you know, $500,000 million. So yeah, helping people is, is crucial, but yeah, I mean, it, it has sometimes been um, hard to have that conversation with people, but I do think people appreciate when you're real with them and when you can be honest with them about it, because a lot of people will just, they'll just be like, Oh yeah, go ahead and invest with me. And I don't take, and I'll get into this kind of with my tips, but I don't, I'm not comfortable with someone doing any kind of business with me unless they've got a decent savings account. Um, and I can talk numbers on that later, but I don't feel comfortable doing that unless someone has built up cash reserves. So I have, I have turned people away, but still want to keep the relationship, you know, because I yeah. still want to help them through that. But yeah, no. And I think it's important to kind of know like where you draw the line. Um, yeah. And also I think, I think people, there's a propensity for people to want you to just do it for them. Um, yes. And there's a reason why it's, you know, I'm a financial advisor and not a financial overlord. Um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm empowering you to make these decisions. Right. Um, right. It's your money, so, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think that there's a, it seems like um, there's like a great deal of education that goes along with that. Um, like, so, wow, you're a teacher, yeah. you're a life coach, like you're, <laughs> you're the conciliary. So you, you got, you got more hats on than you think. It's, um, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess the question is like, so with all these hats, how did you put them on? Like what, what does someone have to do in school? Like, or rather, I mean, let's start with this. Why are you doing this? <laughs> like, um, Great question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know any like a uh, teenager that says, well, I'm going to be a financial advisor. Like, like, <laughs> But I think maybe you did say yeah. that actually. Now that I, I well, that I, I think that. that's maybe the nerdy part of it, though. You know, like <laughs> because I, I I did say that. Now I will say, especially in, um, and I think this is true among all all financial firms, all advisor firms, but especially at mine, we have people from so many different backgrounds. We've got lawyers turned advisors. We've got teachers turned advisors. I mean, it, it's it's incredible the different backgrounds that people come from. But what we all have in common is that we're passionate about people and we're passionate about helping people. Um, I d and like you said, I actually did have that conversation with my mom. Now I went a bunch of kind of different directions before I ended up here, but I think all of it helped to build up to this point. So I did, you know, have, I don't know, kind of this propensity for like money and saving when I was younger. And so my mom asked me when I was in my teens, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I, I just want to help people with their money. I didn't know what that meant. I thought it meant being an accountant. It is not being an accountant. Love any accountants listening. I have, I have the utmost respect for you and you do a fantastic <laughs> job at what you do, but that was just not my cup of tea. The whole balance sheet thing was not for me. So yeah. um, for me, it was more about the relationship building. And I think that's what being an advisor really allows you to do. So I was in insurance before this, but I think that really being in the financial services industry helped me to get to this point. And 
That's yeah. one of the things I love about what I do is building the relationship that, and obviously there's the nerd part of it, you know, building a portfolio is kind of fun for me, but I think that if you enjoy people and you enjoy networking, I think this is, this is a really great field for people. That's great. And, and, um, I guess the, the next question to that is, so you wanted to do this since, uh, since you were a teenager, you went to college for finance? I did. Yes. And then, and then you found your way to, uh, being a, a financial advisor by way of insurance. Um, right. So do people, and I, this will be the, the last career path question. Um, and then we'll get <laughs> sure. in, into your tips. But do you find that people don't go directly into being a financial advisor, that they do something else first? And do you think that there's some kind of reason behind that, um, that they need that other thing to supplement, um, of course, the, like, to develop the soft skills to actually do the hard skills of, of financial advising? Yeah, I think a lot of people probably were in my position when they became an advisor and that they kind of talked themselves out of it. They thought, oh, be, being an advisor, like that's just, that's really hard. And, you know, but it's for anybody who kind of, like I said earlier, that enjoys helping people and can enjoy like what I call like the nerd work of it and, and building something and kind of tinkering with numbers. And I'm not saying I'm good at math, so that's what a calculator is <laughs> for, but um. But oh, I, I, I know. <laughs> That's, but don't worry, we have great tools for that too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to handle your money. I don't, I don't like to, you know, play, play with the, you know, do everything in my head. So it's, it's uh, a okay. good thing that we've got calculators, oh, okay. but, um, the, okay, but yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> well qualified, I promise. Um, but I will say that it's, it is a lot of work to get to this point because while you don't have to go to extra school per se, and you don't have to be a finance major, like I said, we've got people from all different backgrounds that work at the firm that I do at least, but you do have to go through licensing and testing to get to this point. Now, depending on what firm you work for and the types of investments that you sell, that determines the type of licensing that you need. So uh, for me, I am series, they're called series uh, exams. So I am series seven and series 66 license. So I had to take two separate tests plus get an insurance license, which I actually had because of my previous career. But if you didn't have an insurance license for your state, then you have to obtain that as well because you do, because there are some products that overlap with insurance and investing. Um, okay. So I'm licensed to uh, sell life insurance, things like that, as well as actual um, types of investments. So the Series 66 is called the Combined, gosh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, Combined Uniform State Law Exam. So it's kind of a legal slash ethical side of, um, of investing. Uh -huh. And then the series seven is actually kind of the umbrella of all the series exams. So that, that allows uh, you to dabble in just, just about everything. Um, and, and they are, the tests are several hours long. You study for a couple of months. Yes. I see you out there. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and it, it's, it's a grueling process. I, I will not lie about it, but it is extremely rewarding to come out of those on the other side and, 
you know, I kept being told when I was going through studying, it's going to be a blip on a radar. And it didn't feel like that in the moment, but it does yeah. now. And it's incredible to, to learn those things, apply it. But this is just like, you know, in a lot of different fields, you're going to take an exam and then you're going to be allowed to practice whatever that field is. You're still going to learn a lot by doing. And that's yeah. where most of my knowledge at this point has come from is learning by doing, but also there have been other advisors who have been awesome mentors to me. So, yeah. And I, I think that everyone should fall in love with the process of doing stuff as opposed to just falling in love with the destination. Um, because right. you'll realize that the process never really ends. Like, yeah, you took yeah. a test <laughs> and you have, you know, the certification. However, the learning process by which you started, it never really ends, no matter what job you do, whether you're a teacher or financial right. advisor or even a, you know, a sports player. Like you're right. always practicing and honing your craft. Um, Absolutely. So as grueling as that process sounds, it sounds like it's a little <laughs> bit better now that you're not yeah. having a test at the end of all of it. Um, right. <laughs> and, and so like that, that takes us to um, the big, my big question um, um, for you. And that's, you know, what are some tips um, maybe that you've learned through your experience or maybe even um, uh, through um, working with different clients um, that you would give, um, that you could give our audience out there, maybe top three, top three, top five tips that you could give um, to our uh, listeners? Yeah, so, um, so I'll give you the three and then I'll kind of unpack them a little bit. Um, okay. So the conversation I have with people would look a lot like these are, these are all different types of things I would kind of talk about with somebody in a first appointment or when I'm first talking with them about what I do and how I can help. So my first one is kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. I don't normally now little disclaimer before I give these is that obviously everybody's situation is different. And everyone yeah. is comfortable with different things. Um, one of the things we look at is your risk tolerance. So how much risk you're willing to take uh, and, and how long you have until you want to retire, meet your, you know, buy a boat, buy a house, whatever, whatever your financial goal is. So we talk a lot about risk and we talk a lot, a lot about your unique situation. Um, so a little disclaimer there. But so my first tip would say would be don't invest until you have three to six months of living expenses saved up in cash reserves. So when I say living expenses, I'm not talking about going out and buying a nice pair of shoes or a nice watch. Like, no, I'm talking bare necessities. I mean, rent, utilities, car payment, the things that you literally can't really function without, or at least not well. Um, you know, break that down. And, and I usually send out a, a budget worksheet before a lot of appointments so that a lot of people, I've actually been surprised at the number of people who do kind of have a master budget. Um, but some people don't know what their spending's like. And if you don't know what your spending is like now, it's going to be hard to know what that looks like 30 years down the road. So yeah. talk, knowing, you know, what your spending is like and having that money saved up three to six months worth is typically what I, what I would recommend. Um, living expenses, obviously. So, okay. and the more, the better. So once you have that, I think you're kind of safe to be talking about contributing money to IRA or paying down debt or, or whatever it is, whatever it is that your goals are. Um, so big on um, having a savings. My second would be to diversify. I'll go into that in a second. And then um, my third tip would be investing for the long term. So um, I kind of talked to 
a good bit about the three to six months worth um, of living expenses, but it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to put your cash into something that could fluctuate if you don't have cash on hand for if things go south. You know, we've seen a lot of ups and downs in the market this past year. Like it's been yeah. really crazy volatile, right? Like it's, yeah. it's been really interesting kind of on this side of it to watch, but it's also scary for a lot of people. And so I don't think it makes sense to put your cash into something where you, there is a possibility of loss. I mean, history shows us that the market comes back. We've never not gotten out of a down market. Um, yeah. Statistics have shown us that three out of four years are going to, the market will be up and, and that likely your portfolio follows suit, but the other year you're going to have a down year, but people remember the bad over the good, right? Like they Absolutely. always focus on, you know, Oh gosh, I just lost $10,000, but I've seen people's, in fact, I've seen my own investments drop, you know, 10% earlier this year. And, and now we're back plus some, I mean, it, and it's just, it's just one of those years it's going to be up and down. So making sure that you have cash on hand so that that when you don't have a game plan, that's when you get really nervous. So I think yeah. having that cash on hand helps people to feel some security in actually starting to invest because they know they've got cash reserves in case they need it for whatever reason. We've seen a lot of job loss happen, obviously, not to get too yeah. economic, but people who have had the cash reserves haven't hurt maybe quite as badly as people who didn't have a plan in place. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to put cash aside. It's not always yeah. easy. I know, again, everybody's situation is different, but that's all the more reason to do that over investing yeah. um, to make sure you've got something there. So um, second tip would be to diversify. Now, I think a lot of people have ideas on what diversification means. So the reason it's really important to me to unpack this because I think there's kind of this misconception that diversifying means having your money in a lot of different places. And by that, I mean, having them in a bunch of different brokerage firms, like I've got some over at E-Trade, I've got some over at, you know, broker B, like I've got some yeah. in the bank. And I understand, I, I kind of now being a financial advisor, I understand why people think that that means you're, you don't have all of your eggs in one basket. They think that being at one place with all their money, say the bank or say a, an advisor, you know, they think being with that one person, having all their money there truly means that they are, they, you know, are diversified. Um, but what's really best is to find a broker and advisor, any platform that you have your investments with, whether you're doing it on your own or you are using an advisor, it's really better to have it all in one place, but making sure that that advisor or brokerage firm has access to a bunch of different investments for you, because that's where diversification comes in, not having your money in different places, but like physical places, but having your money in different investments. So not to get too in the weeds on different types of investments. Cause I know that that could, that could be a whole segment in and of its own. Um, but you know, if yeah. you think about something like a stock that represents ownership in a company. So stocks, uh, if, if you like sports, I usually like to give the analogy of they're the offense, they get you the points on the scoreboard, but you know, we're seeing lots of ups and downs in the market. So it's really important to have something like that that gets points on the scoreboard, but it's just as important to have the defense, right? Like you yeah. got to have the, the people defending your goal. So, and that can literally be like your financial goal. You want to defend that. So you also need to have some of the maybe not so exciting investments, things like bonds. Um, yeah. And bonds are just when, you know, if a company needs to raise money, 
they issue bonds out, you buy the bonds, they have to pay you back, essentially. Um, yeah. And of course, they pay you interest for holding on to that. But you have to have some of that in there too, in order to make sure you have some cushion. So, yeah. so, so having someone to help you with your investing that has access to all those different types of investments, that's where diversification comes in. So Can I ask you a quick question that, before, yeah. before you move on from that. Is there such yeah. thing as being too offensive or too defensive <laughs> when it comes to diversifying? I mean, yeah. I know like every coach is kind of different and you know, we have like some coaches out there that are run and gun. They want to throw it down the <laughs> field all the time. So they're like, right. they probably have tons of investments and you know, those really volatile uh, companies or, or what have you. And then you have the others that are, they want to play it defensive all the time. And they're just going to do straight bonds. Is it bad to be too much of one thing? So that's a great question. And that goes back to what I talked about with risk and your risk tolerance. So if you like taking a lot of risk and you've got a decent amount of time until whatever your financial goal is, let's just say retirement. I think that's the easiest thing for people to think about. Let's just say that your, your goal is that you want to retire at 65 and you're 25 and you say, I feel like I've got all the time in the world. Let's just go for it. So more than likely, if you've got an advisor who has talked to you about those goals and understands how you handle risk, they will probably put you in more investments that will get you the points on the scoreboard because the time allows you to make up for any of the down markets basically. Yeah. Um, so you have more time to recover any losses. Um, but if you are, let's say you're closer to retirement, you're 60, you're 60 years old and you want to retire at 65. Well, you, you're going to need to eventually start focusing on generating income so that in retirement, you've got a paycheck coming to you to help supplement, you know, whatever other, maybe government type of, you know, if you've got social security, like we have yeah. in the U S things like or that. 401k um, or something like that. Yeah. Right. So, so I think it's important to understand for an advisor to understand and, and the client to understand what their risk tolerance is so that they know where they need to have the weight in their portfolio, whether they need to have it more on the defensive side or more on the offensive side or cool. right in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not kind of a, I'm not a middle of the road kind of guy. I, like to, <laughs> like, like, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm kind of more of a defensive guy. I like to, you know, see how it goes. And, play it safe. But yeah, yeah. I, I hate, I hate losing. That's why I think it is. Right. Like, like I, I, I'm not a big gambler. Like, you know, I see people having fun in Vegas and I, the idea of losing any money <laughs> at all, like, yeah, I'm like, yo, I don't like, I don't like losing in general. So right. lose, the idea of losing money, I'm like, money and a loss? Nah, I'm good. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so, Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, no. Great question. Um, so we, we were on Diversify. Um, um, and next was investing for the long term. Yes. Um, so there's nothing wrong with being a day trader. So by day trader, I mean, you know, you go in and you like stocks and you just go in and you're buying and you're selling and you're buying and you're selling and you're just doing that constantly. There are a lot of people that do really well with that, but I'm just, you know, I don't know Warren Buffett personally, but I'm pretty sure he would say to stick with the, you know, the long game, um, slow and steady wins the race. And yeah. I, I just really believe in that. And that's something that we're really passionate about at the firm that I work at is making sure that you 
invest for the long term. Um, and that kind of goes back to with my example of when you've got a little more time, you have time to recover from bumps in the road. Um, so when you have that long term investing mentality, those times don't freak you out as much. So yeah. having a having a strategy in place, whatever that strategy looks like for you personally, having having that strategy, having a game plan is what's going to help you not make rash emotional decisions. So that's why I think investing for the long term and investing for the long term is really what's going to get you to your goal because over time investing your money, checking on it periodically, but not making huge changes and emotional changes when big things happen, that that's what's going to get you there. And the example that I usually use as a visual with clients when they come in is I have a cake box and the cake box, um, you know, if you go to the store and you buy cake mix, you know, you've got your list of ingredients on the back. So I might write a couple of different stocks or mutual, whatever. I might write a couple of different investments on the back of the box. And yeah. I show them and I say, okay, these are your ingredients. And what does the box say? You know, like Duncan Hines says, all right, we're going to mix all these ingredients together and you're going to put it in the oven for 15 minutes. And then you're going to have cake or brownies or whatever you like. You know, I like brownies. Yeah. Let's talk about brownies. I, yeah. Um, I know you love brownies. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say, let's say we're making brownies. So you're going to, you're going to mix all your ingredients together and you're going to stick them in the oven. You're going to set the timer for 15 minutes. Maybe if you're one of those people like me, you're going to be like 12 minutes because you're worried they're going to burn a little bit but that's fine. So you're going to put them in the oven. <laughs> you're not going to check them in two minutes, right? Like they're not, they're still going to be gooey and mushy in two minutes after you just put them in. You're not yeah. then again, going to check them at the three minute mark. What, what progress did they make? So no, you're going to wait until either the 12 or 15. Now I'm not saying don't check on that, you know, turn the light on in the oven, make sure you can see them, make sure there's nothing yeah. crazy going on in there, <laughs> yeah. but you're not going to check them all the time. And I, I really look at having a long-term strategy and investing the same way. It's important to sit down with your advisor um, or if you're doing it yourself, you know, taking a look at your investments periodically, making sure they still align with your, your, your overall goals. Um, especially if you've got, like we talked about those big life events, marriage or having kids, things like that it's important to revisit those and really revisit them annually um, just to make sure nothing major has changed, but you don't want to keep making changes all the time because it's just going to mess up your recipe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the phrase is like, watch water never boils, watch cake never bakes. Like, exactly. So, like <laughs> yep. I, and I've been, I've been the guy at the, at the oven, like, come on cookies right. come on <laughs> right like and it just it, it never goes fast enough um right go forget about it do something come back check don't let them burn but d distract exactly. yourself maybe by diversifying um, yeah <laughs> see I'm, I'm learning something <laughs> you um, are i'm proud <laughs> so so um and those those are your tips but um I, i'm gonna ask a question off of that so what's some common mistakes that you're seeing. I mean, it can't always be uh, brownies and cookies. Like there's <laughs> gotta be some burnt ends in there. What's, what's going on out there? Yeah, um, honestly, and, and not to toot my own horn or plug myself here, but I think going back to what we said in the very beginning is that, you know, there are gonna be some people that think, oh, I don't have enough money to sit down with an advisor. No, sitting down with an advisor is the very best thing that you can do because 
there are advisors out there that charge a consultation fee, but a, a lot of them don't. Um, I don't charge anything to sit down with someone. And typically my first appointment with someone is at least an hour long. So that doesn't cost you a dime to sit down with me and let's just talk through it. Let's talk through your goals. Let's talk through, you know, where, where you see yourself. Let's talk about your risk and how you handle that. And, you know, tell me about, tell me about your family or, or whatever, you know, getting to know that person. I think that it's people think that they're going to go in and it's going to be all business. And I think that's the case in a lot of situations with advisors, but that's why standing out and, and being different on that level and having a relationship with someone is so important to me because I want them to see, it doesn't have to be like going to the dentist, you know, we can yeah. like, let's celebrate your, let's celebrate your family things and your, your different, you know, markers of success as actually one of my clients called it, which I thought was really cool. She's like a behavioral, you know, person, a, uh, okay. a psychologist of some, of some sort, but um, but I thought that was a really neat way to say it is like markers for success. So I like to celebrate that with people, but I think that that's a really common mistake is people don't want to sit down with an advisor because a, they think it's scary or B, I think a lot of people, this is going to, I hope I don't offend anybody, but a lot of people think they know what they're doing. And if they did, yeah. we would all be licensed <laughs> financial advisors, wouldn't we? <laughs> um, yeah. so that's not just, <laughs> That's not to say that people don't have an idea of it. I've actually got a lot of people that come in and they are incredibly knowledgeable, which I appreciate because that's, that's really less work for me that I have to explain, at least in our first appointment. I kind of like to do a little investment one-on-one -on -one with people who aren't as familiar with it. So if people yeah. already know, then cool, let's move on. But I think the people that are willing to take advice and willing to sit down with someone and talk about it are, are people that I can really help. Um, so, yeah. so I think admitting that maybe we don't know everything, like I don't pretend I know everything about law or taxes or anything like that. I go to a professional for those. So I think yeah. you have to kind of look at investing the same way. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, with all of the, the financial bloggers out there and, and YouTubers, and I mean, I, I don't knock the hustle, like, and I don't really even think no. it's a hustle. I just think that people, um, want to get educated and, by virtue of that fact, there are people who want to educate people, so they, they put their stuff out there on there on YouTube. Um, and there there is there is value in learning things. Um, Absolutely. But it it also is important to know when you're in over your head. And yeah, um, I think it goes back to your risk tolerance. Do I want to risk messing up my money because I watched YouTube and I think I can do it? Now I'm exactly. good. I, I'm a I'm gonna go to the expert. Um, right. but I think that that's something that, um, man, I think it's a, it's a barrier to entry and, uh, like the barrier to entry is confidence, um, that they have something worth talking about. Um, and I'll right. speak from, from certain, you know, lower income communities, like the idea of a financial advisor is just like, huh? Like, yo, I'm poor. I don't I, I, like, or I'm from this neighborhood. What am I going to talk with a financial advisor about? Um, and the first thing you right. said was, well, we can talk about saving. You said you went to a financial advisor right out of college. Like, yep. and you said, well, and I know you came from uh, an industry or you came from that, like from college with that knowledge yeah. of that. Um, right. but do you talk with uh, many college students too? I do actually. I, um, so one of the, one of the ways that, I 
meet people is I do what we call face-to-face contact. So that actually means that I go to people's door. I knock on their door, not right now. So uh, we're, we're not really doing that at this time. We don't make anybody uncomfortable or be unsafe or unhealthy. (laughs) But in the very beginning, uh, that's how I met people is I actually went up to their door and I introduced myself and you would be surprised at how, honestly, how receptive people were to that. But I actually met a couple of kids that were getting ready to go to college or kids that were in college that were, you know, because it's, it's downtown Columbia or whatever surrounding areas where we're around a university um, here. And so I met a lot of them and, you know, they kind of like brushed me off a little bit like, well, what, you know, why would I want to talk to an advisor? But I actually said to them, I said, Hey, you know, it's never, it's never too early to be thinking about it. So if you ever want to sit down, someone helped me when I was coming right out of school, I'd be happy to do the same with you if you were interested in that. So, but, but you're right. I think there is a level of education that's not I won't get on a soapbox about this, but having come from a financial background, even in college, I do think that helped me a lot. And I wish there were more classes and more education about that on the front end in school, because I do think people would be in a much better position to have that conversation and feel comfortable having it if they had more knowledge of it. People just don't, they just don't know. And, and it's not their fault that they don't know. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, out of, I think it should be in high school, honestly, that people are, are getting to have some concept of money and debt and totally saving. Um, yeah. Because like, I was one of those kids at a, right out of high school, I had a credit card. And man, I like, I, I was like, this is wild, but I can just do whatever. Uh, nah, no, there right. are limits. <laughs> there, there are yeah. limits. And I yeah. hit that limit. And then like, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, 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 oh interest. Right. So Who are <laughs> <What's> you? <this? laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, I got to pay m- 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 more money? Right. Um, so no, you're right. I think that there is a, a necessity for people like to learn something earlier and earlier, but that takes initiative. Um, right. So, you know, with that being said, I think that a lot of people are, um, a, a lot of people want some kind of literature that they can you know, reference, um, maybe to give them, you know, the confidence to walk into your office or the con- like even just to feel something uh, of urgency about their money. Um, so right. do you have any books um, that you like, that you like to read or that were a good reference material for you or just something that motivated you to really uh, hone in on money or that may help somebody else hone in on their money? or the necessity of their financial health. Yeah, I, I love that you just said create a sense of urgency because I feel like that's what I'm constantly trying to do with people is help them to see like, like we, let's get started, you know, let's not put it off because the more you put it off, then time's not on your side anymore. So a little aside, yeah. I really like you said that. Um, so actually one of the things that I used as kind of a reference when I was studying for my exams was Investopedia. So like encyclopedia, but investopedia.com. So it is just, it's a really great resource and kind of just puts it on everyone's level. I mean, because I was certainly, I mean, the things that I know how to do and know about now are not the things that I knew about and knew how to do before coming into this, obviously. I mean, I just, I would, but I constantly referenced that throughout my studying because it really just helped to, um, just put it on, put it on anyone's level. Anybody I feel like can, can go into that website and 
understand things. And I believe that also on that, they'll do kind of a breakdown of things going on in the news. So it's kind of not as noisy as maybe the news can be sometimes. Um, So I think it's also a a good resource and a good way to look at what's going on in, in the news. We see all different viewpoints. And so I I kind of, I recommend going to investopedia.com to start. Okay. And I think that a lot of people, they like, um, I think websites are more, um, I guess it's easier for people to, um, access that information. Um, do you think there's like jargon that maybe people get intimidated by? Um, like, cause I know whenever I think of like investments and stock and like depression and recession and <laughs> like bubbles bursting, I'm like, yo, I'm good. No, thanks. Um, yeah. Like uh, having a website like this will certainly help people to feel safe and and but also have that kind of sense of of knowledge that might create that sense of urgency right um um, i won't keep you too much longer but i do have some kind of um they're they're not personal questions to me but they're questions that other people asked um other people have asked me to ask um ask you um so um i have one college student he's um he's in his third year um and he he wants to make sure that he's set up to have a million dollars um, by the time he's 50. Um, Got it. I think I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but um, where can he start his millions? With me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, certainly with me, but with, I mean, honestly, with, with an advisor, like, you know, I think it's important to look, look for an advisor that you're comfortable with and that you I mean, that you really, I mean, it seems cheesy, but that really you could maybe call part of your family someday, you know, um, I, I think that you, you know, you can start with things like going to that, what, you know, that website I gave and just kind of doing a little preliminary research, but I really think it's important to sit down with an advisor because advisors typically do have tools that where they can plug in your information and it's, and it's going to show you where you're, where you're at right now. Like if you're starting at zero and you want to have that million dollars by the time you're 50, is that doable? And what's it going to take? Um, because I think that's something, I mean, as soon as you give me that scenario, I already know that I have tools in place that if I talk to that person, I could, we could start having a conversation. I could be plugging numbers in and I could even say, we need to be investing or contributing rather um, this much per month to possibly a retirement account to get you to a million dollars. Now, I think what's also important to recognize is that let's say that person wants a million dollars, that might not be enough. And I think that's another reason that it's really important to sit down with an advisor. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but I mean, this, you know, I am sure. Don't be scared. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're still yeah. young, so it's totally doable, I promise. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's, and I think that showing someone what small differences can make, like an extra $50, an extra $100 a month. Like, I know, I know you like shoes and you might have to give up, you know, one pair of shoes, you know, a month or, oh, what, or whatever no. your vice is. <laughs> You might have to give that up and, you know, but that's, that all comes with that, that long-term perspective. So the sooner you can get into that mindset, like I love hearing that someone 
who's in college is thinking about, all right, how do I make a million dollars by 50? Like that's, that's incredible. So I really think sitting down with an advisor is, is, is the way to go. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't know, for me, um, I've, um, over the last few months, I've become a, um, an essentialist. Um, so one thing that I like that I've begun doing is I'll cut out things both physically and financially that just, I don't, that don't serve me in any kind of way. Um, and I think that, I think that a lot of people, especially these days, um, there's a kind of a fad of minimalism and essentialism, um, going around. Um, I think that definitely works with, um, you know, financial advisement. Um, because if you can, if you can declutter your house and your mind, yo, open your checkbook. Well, okay. People don't have checkbooks anymore. Right? <laughs> Look at your statement online. Like I, I hate right. that, Like, and I, I do want to ask you about that. Do you find that it's more difficult these days for people to keep track of their money because they don't have that checkbook that they're balancing. They have to look at debit accounts and things like that. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I highly, highly, highly recommend sitting down and doing a monthly budget. Because like I said, I don't think a lot of people know what they spend. And that's kind of going back to what you're saying too, is like, what are the things I can give up? Or what are the things I can live without? When you sit down and you write it all down, you write down your expenses, it's going to start to become really easy to see what you can cut out or, or just be real with yourself and say, you know, wow, I'm spending a lot of money on dining out. Okay, guilty. I'm totally guilty of that, by the way. I'm, that's a, a, a conviction of my own. But when I sit down and I am starting to really keep track of that, um, that that's when I feel like I can start to make some headway on my actual long-term goals. Because is that, you know, awesome coffee every day? Again, guilty, totally guilty, mm-hmm. call myself out. But is that daily coffee that I go and get at the coffee shop worth I don't know, working another year, like that's kind of dramatic, but see the small differences and people, people thinking spending $4 at a time, is not a big deal, but that really adds up. So I think, I think sitting down and writing out that monthly budget is, is truly key to recognizing what your spending's like and knowing whether you can, you know, get to a point where you can feel uncomfortable, feel comfortable giving some of that stuff up so that you can focus on what's 30 years down the road. Yeah, no, I, you know, when you talk about $4 uh, for coffee, like I immediately started doing the math, the math in my head. I'm like $4 a day, $120, $120 times 12. Like, okay, we're talking about somewhere close to $2,000 a year on coffee alone. Where could that money go? Right. Um, and I'm not a math whiz at all. Um, I, <laughs> if you good? remember, my math grades were not great. Um, but I, I can do a little, little bit. Um, but no, I, I think... Um, I think that's a, like, that's a great starting point is just kind of um, taking stock of what you're doing and, and your habits. Um, yep. So um, that takes us to our, my last question um, for you. Um, and it, don't worry, it's not, it's not going to be a doozy. Um, oh but, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think um, everyone wants to know what, what's the goal that they should have, you know, Everyone is comparing their money to other people' money. Other people's money. Um, I think that that's probably not good. I don't think that there is much. Um, there's. I don't think there's anything good about comparing yourself to other people. And it's kind of one of the reasons why I think Instagram is kind of like the worst thing ever for people, um, at least for their mental health. Totally. 
um, right. is because they're always looking at, oh, well, he's flexing this car, he's flex, she's flexing this, <laughs> these shoes or this purse or whatever. I need that so I can flex too. How about let's flex financial health? So, right. Love it. <laughs> so how can we, or what is something that everyone should be looking at as their financial end game? Um, like, is there something specific or something like a generalized idea or kind of mission statement that people should have when we're talking about their end game goal for their money? Hmm. So that's, that's a great question. Um, and a tough one because I really, I really do think it depends on everyone's situation. Um, but, you know, and not that I can speak for everyone, but I think everyone, for the most part, would say that they, they want to be comfortable. You know, they, they don't want to want for anything. They want to be able to pay their bills and they want to be able to maybe go on, I don't know, like a short trip somewhere or just, but just be comfortable. And I talk to people in all different situations. Like some people want to travel the world when they retire. Other people are perfectly fine sitting at home on their front porch, drinking a coffee every morning. And there is nothing wrong with that. But I think that even as simple as being comfortable sounds, it's still a reason to talk to a financial advisor because if being comfortable to you is spending $4,000 a month, but you're not saving anything for retirement or for the future, then you're not going to be very comfortable when you get to that point, because you're not going to have no. the money to sustain that. If you don't want to work anymore anyway, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, if you want exactly. to keep working till you die, then that's, you know, and there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with that. I've got plenty of people that are like, you know, I haven't even really thought about retirement because I just see myself working. That's fine. There. I mean, at some point you're going to you're probably going to want to start stop working, but it may not be at yeah. 65. It may not even be at 75. Some people just like that. Um, yeah. But I would still say that's all the more reason to talk with an advisor about that. Okay. Lastly, where yeah. do people find financial advisors? Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, that's we're a, that's about a great this. question too. <laughs> like, um, and I know you said like there are firms, like, are they at your banks? Like, is there like uh, is there like a go-to website where you can like look up like a directory of financial advisors? Um, yeah. How can we find the resources that we need? Yeah, awesome. So definitely, uh, you can go online. You can go to um, uh, I think it's just Finra.org, um, or it might be Finra. Dot, might be Finra. Dot, you know what I'm gonna um, bring it up while we're talking, Finra. but yeah. Org. And I'll put it in the show notes um, for, yeah. for those of you out there, um, like uh, anyone who's listening or watching, um, we'll, put the, yeah. um, we'll put the organization in the show notes as well as um, the Investopedia uh, link as well. Right. Um, yeah, but so, go ahead. yeah, so fin, fin, it is finra.org. Um, so you can find financial advisors that way. Um, you can use the almighty internet and look, you can literally type in financial advisors on the internet. And, and typically the, you'll, you'll get a lot of the popular brokerage names that come up with that. Um, but I typically recommend if you're going to search for one, try to try to narrow it down by your zip code because, or whatever, you know, city you're in, whatever area you're in, something that's fairly close to you, because it's going to be hard to have a relationship with someone through an 800 number. So I really strongly recommend trying to find a, more of a neighborhood advisor, um, someone who's around. I don't even think there's anything wrong with, 
driving around your area and stopping into a couple. There's nothing wrong with shopping financial advisors. I did it. I did it personally um, when I came out of college and ended up with one that I really liked. I, I did unfortunately have to move that because of an em employer situation and go with who that employer used. But ultimately, I think it's someone you want someone that's fairly local to you so that you can go in and have a one on one conversation and not have to be solely on the phone. Of course, that's, you know, with the caveat of everything going on now, but still someone local yeah. is going to be better than dialing into an 800 number and being on hold for 20 minutes. So yeah, and you want somebody to know your neighborhood and know where you're coming from. So like that, um, exactly. that's always important to creating those relationships. Well, thank you so much um, for yeah. coming on the show. Like, thank you. I, I feel uh, a little bit more comfortable putting my brownies in the oven. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably still watch them for a little bit though. Um, no, There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, honestly, honestly, like, um, you know, Dopio, we pride ourselves on waking people up. And um, I guess today we put kind of some cream in the coffee, cream as in uh, cash rules, everything around them. So I, I feel yeah. like that's an <laughs> adequate acronym for this, for this particular show. It's true. No, but again, um, thank you so much um, for coming on. Um, and uh, hopefully um, after the coronavirus um, situation has resolved itself, um, people can get out and get into their financial advisor's offices and hopefully feel definitely. just as financially healthy as they are physically healthy. Um, so Most definitely. Again, they go hand so in much. hand. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. And uh, this was Dopio. Again, um, we're going to have investopedia.com um, and finraindthe.org in the show notes, as well as um, some of the things that she talked about. Um, and so, uh, again, thank you um, for listening in, and we will see you next time. Okay. And stop the recording.